Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, our text is, begins at verse 4 and runs to verse 15. As I mentioned to the earlier service, I'm, I'm thankful for what we do here at IPC to preaching through consecutive books of the Bible and because that means we come to the next text. Uh, I mean, not only for myself as a preacher, it makes it a little easier. I just go to the next text, but also as a Christian, sometimes I just need to go to the next text. And it's stunning how week after week, just coming to the next text, Jesus actually has something there for me, has something there for us. I certainly think that's the case with this passage this morning. As we've gone through this past week, as we will go through the week to come, we need to know that we're not alone. That that God the Holy Spirit is with us. And he is the one who is doing his work in and through us. That's what Jesus is going to tell us about here. And since the Holy Spirit is with us now, we can ask him to be what he actually is, our helper. So let's ask him to do that. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would come. You have been present with us already in this service as your word and prayer has been used in our lives uh, as a means of grace. But we know that it's particularly in the reading and preaching of Holy Scripture that you are pleased to work. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, that you would use your word to encourage, to convict, and above all, to point us to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do this, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but now... I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, some of us just feel alone a lot. We we can be in a crowd, whether 
it's at a party or at a concert or even here at church and and we can even be with friends with people that we know in this large crowd and even though we have people we know and even though we're in a place that we maybe wanted to be we can still feel so alone and some of us actually are alone a lot we are divorced or widowed or we've been single our entire lives and and we can go through our days at times as we move our house or our shopping or at work and we can go through those days never having a meaningful conversation with another person and on those days especially we feel so alone And sometimes, for others of us, we experience aloneness because of the opposition of others. As we've borne witness to Jesus, as we've told the truth about his word, we've known opposition and rejection and and abandonment. We have had long friendships ended. We've known real pain. It's been experienced. And in those times, we feel so alone. And when we feel alone, whether by disposition or loss, whether by opposition or pain, it's in those moments especially we wonder where God is. It appears as though we've been abandoned, as though we've been orphaned, left to struggle through the situation the best we can. It's this this sense, this fear of abandonment and aloneness. That's exactly what Jesus has been dealing with with his followers, with his friends, throughout this discourse we call the Upper Room Discourse. We've known since the beginning of this section, starting in John chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus was returning to the Father. Then at the end of the chapter, chapter 13, he tells his disciples that he's leaving them, which begins the questions. Where are you going? Why can't we follow? What's going to happen to us? And as a way of trying to assure his followers' hearts, his friends' hearts, Jesus tells them that he's, though he's leaving them, he's not abandoning them. Though he's returning to the Father, he's not going to leave them as orphans. Another is coming. The helper, the paraclete, the one who comes beside, the Holy Spirit. And so three times previous to this section... John 14, verses 16 and 17, John 14, verse 26, and then what we looked at last time, John 14, verses 26 and 27, Jesus has been telling his followers about the Holy Spirit, this one who comes beside them, this one who mediates the presence of the Father and the Son, this one who dwells in them. But here in this passage, we have Jesus' longest set of comments about the Helper, about the Holy Spirit. And in the face of our aloneness, in the face of the world's opposition, Jesus wants you to know this simple truth. You're not alone. Like, really. You're really not alone. And you're not alone. You don't make your way through this world alone. You do not serve him alone out of your own strength, out of your own ingenuity, out of your own wisdom, because Jesus sends the helper. 
His Holy Spirit is with you, is in you. And he actually tells us here that this is to our advantage. Did you see that? Jesus deals with their sorrow, but then he tells them, his followers, his friends, it's to their advantage. Look at verse 6. He says, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the disciples, Jesus' friends here, real grief, real sorrow. He names that. He says, you are sorrowing. You feel abandoned. They've already asked Where are you going? Peter asks that at the end of chapter 13. Jesus is trying to press them to ask, where are you going? As in, why are you going? Why at this moment in redemptive history, why at this moment as they've come to Jerusalem for the feast, why is it now, Jesus? Why are you going away? Well, in trying to answer that question, we first have to say, why not? Why, why, why is Jesus not, re- what, what can we say about Jesus returning to the Father? Well, it's not for this reason. It's not because Jesus has to go the way so that the Spirit can come, because Jesus and the Spirit can't be in the same place at the same time. There's actually a brand of an ancient Christian heresy that, that makes its revival through the generations that actually suggests that. It's called modalism. Modalism is the idea that there's really only one God, but he shows up in three different modes or wears three different masks. In one version of modalism, the idea goes that that in the Old Testament, God shows up as Father or as Yahweh. In the Gospels, he shows up as Jesus. And starting in Acts, he shows up as the Holy Spirit. But these are not three persons, but three modes or three masks of the one true God. As I say, that's an ancient Christian heresy, even though some Pentecostal groups, um, some cults like Jehovah Witnesses teach something similar. It, It is in fact heresy, and you know that's not the case. The Bible itself shows you that. For example, in Matthew chapter three, at Jesus's baptism, remember there's the voice of the father, this is my beloved son. So the father speaks, The Son is being baptized, and the Holy Spirit, in the form of the dove, comes and rests upon Jesus. All three persons of the Godhead present and and heard or seen at the same time. And so it's not the case that there's three modes. It's not the case, then, that Jesus has to go away because he and the Holy Spirit can't be present at the same time. So, So why is it? that Jesus is returning to the Father? Why is it to our advantage that he's going away? Well, the reason why is that Jesus pouring out the Spirit upon us as a gift that he receives from the Father for us is actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The shorter prophet Joel, in Joel chapter 2, looked forward to the day when it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
You see, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit came upon those particularly who bore some kind of office. For example, a king. The kings of Israel had the Holy Spirit rush upon them. And so when Saul is anointed king, the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. And then when he disobeys, the Spirit leaves him. And when David is anointed, the Spirit comes upon him. Or in the prophets, the various prophets had the Holy Spirit come upon them for their office. The priests as well. But the, the Old Testament promise is that is it's not just the Holy Spirit is not just for these select persons. Rather, it's for all of God's people. The Holy Spirit comes for all of God's people because we all bear office. You see, the New Testament looks forward to the day when you and I are a kingdom of priests. In fact, John will use that language in Revelation chapter 1, that, that, that the blood of Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. As priests who actually bear worship to the Father, but priests that also come and declare God's word to the nations. And so it, the reason why it's to our advantage that Jesus returns to the Father is that he might pour his spirit out upon you. Not just upon select individuals, but on each one of you. He comes to be with you. Which means what? You're not alone. It's to your advantage that Jesus returns to the Father that he might pour out his spirit upon all flesh so that you might not be alone. Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is present with you. He dwells within you and he does his work through you. Indeed, the Holy Spirit's activity that Jesus describes here in this passage is really twofold. The Holy Spirit does his work through us to convict the world of sin and to witness to Christ. These are the two parts of the activity of the Spirit. Convict the world and witness to Christ. As Jesus tells us in verse 8 that that's exactly what the Spirit does. You see it? And when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now that word convict is, can be a hard word for us to get our hands around. But, but what I think Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit comes and he's with you and he dwells in you so that as you bear witness to Jesus that he uses that witness to demonstrate against the guilt of the world, to show the world that it in fact is guilty. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. He comes to convict the world in those areas of sin and righteousness and judgment. But behind each of those, in trying to convict the world and seeking to do this in those areas, the Holy Spirit's purpose isn't to condemn the world, or to condemn people in the world. Rather, the Holy Spirit's purpose is repentance. To turn you and me away from the world and the lies that the world tells, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life, to, to help us see the emptiness of the world so that we would turn from the world and to turn to Jesus. To run to him and to pursue him. That's why the Holy Spirit does this work of convicting the world. 
And so Jesus tells us that the, in verse 9 that, that the Spirit convicts the world of sin. You see it? Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. They do not believe in him. So, so convicting the sin of world, uh, excuse me, convicting the world of, of sin really means convicting the world of, of unbelief of not believing that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Sometimes as Christians, we become very concerned about sins that the world commits, that the world system holds forward. We get exercised about sins of sexuality and sensuality, or we get worked up about sins of of greed, or we get worked up about sins of injustice and racism, and all those things are good things to be worked up about. But friends, really the one sin underlying all those other sins that the Holy Spirit desires to convict sinners of, desires to convict the world of, is unbelief of not believing that Jesus is in fact who he said he was. And so the Holy Spirit comes to show you and I what one preacher, one old preacher said about unbelief, that unbelief is the most daring, decisive, and damning of all sins. And yet the Holy Spirit comes not just to convict of sin, but also righteousness. You see that in verse 11, excuse me, verse 10, concerning righteousness, Jesus says, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. I think what Jesus means here is that when the Spirit convicts the world of righteousness, the Spirit is convicting the world of his righteousness. That in fact, Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, and so when the world rejects that truth about Jesus, that he's the Son of God and Savior of sinners, they see him not as righteous, but as a liar. How does the world view Jesus? The world views Jesus as as perhaps a a great moral teacher, but really a relatively weak person. Somewhat milquetoast, perhaps. Certainly not someone who's who's masculine and manly and somebody we want to follow. And so as this great religious teacher, he died a, a tragic death upon the cross. It really was his own fault. But when the Holy Spirit comes and he does his work and he not only convicts the world of sin, but of righteousness, what the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of is that, no, Jesus isn't simply some great moral teacher who couldn't avoid getting himself killed, but he is, in fact, exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. And that when he died on the cross, he died for sinners to redeem a people for God's glory. And when the Holy Spirit does his work, that's exactly what we come to see. That in fact, we are sinners and our profound sin is unbelief. And that fact, Jesus is righteous, that he is exactly who he claimed to be. He is the only way of salvation. But the Holy Spirit also convicts the world of judgment. That's what Jesus says in verse 11 concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And again, The cross is in view because there at the cross, not only did Jesus die to bear our guilt and our shame to deal with our sins. No, actually the cross is the ultimate mark of judgment and judgment particularly upon the enemy, upon the ruler of this world, upon Satan himself. There at the cross, Satan is condemned, judged. He's, He's 
declared to be this, the powerless opponent of the true and living God. No, at, there at the cross, all that this world holds to be so valuable, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life, it's actually exposed and judged as vain. There at the cross, the ultimate promise that all things would come under judgment because sin and Satan and the world and, and death itself is, has been judged. It not only tells us these things, but that, that you and I will come under judgment. Every man, every woman, every child, boy or girl, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and either we will plead our own doing or we'll plead Jesus' doing. The Holy Spirit comes to tell us the truth of these things and to convict us that these things are in fact so. That in Jesus Christ we have one whom we are called to believe, called to, to rest our hearts in as righteous, called to hide ourselves from the coming judgment, to turn from sin and unrighteousness and unbelief, to flee the judgment to come and to run to Jesus. And what the Holy Spirit does is convict us that these things are so. And some of you can testify to that. Some of you can actually remember those times when you came under such profound conviction. When the Holy Spirit was at work and you saw yourself as you really were. as, As not just a sinner who commits sins, but as someone profoundly committed to unbelief. And you had been denying the truth of who Jesus was. And you had been turning from him over and again. And, but then you saw him as, as he actually is, as a savior. And you fled him. You can remember those times. Others of you, perhaps, have never experienced that. You've never experienced this sense of conviction. That you've been living a life of unbelief. That in fact you've not seen Jesus as he actually is. As, as very God of very God, as a true Savior who can change your life. You've not worried yourself about the judgment to come. But you're here. You're here under the preaching of God's word this morning, and the Holy Spirit is present with his word. And whether you recognize it or not, he's at work, and there will come a point in time, my friend, when you will begin to wonder, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I've never felt this way before. I've never seen these things before. There was a preacher named R.A. Torrey who once told a story, a very similar along that line. He was preaching one evangelistic series of meetings, and as he was preaching in this series, he noticed this man come in the back door, a back door just like that back door. And he was finely dressed, and Tory thought in the back of his mind, that man's wealthy. I wonder if he's, I wonder if he's a, a gambler. I wonder if he's someone who makes his money by fixing books and gambling. He kept preaching, came to the end of the service. He went to the side room where he would receive those who were under conviction of sin, desired to hear more about Jesus, and that man came. And this is what he told him. The man said, I don't know what's, what's wrong with me. I've never felt this way before. I was starting this afternoon to go to Cottage Grove Avenue to meet some, some men, spend the afternoon gambling. But as I passed by the park, some of your young men were holding a meeting. And I stopped to listen, and I saw someone I knew, someone who, 
who I'd spent years in the same life of sin, and he was there, and he testified about this change that had happened to him. And I walked away because I didn't want to hear it, but, but I got 100 yards away, and something stopped me. I had this strange feeling that I had to go back, and so I went back and listened to the rest, and then one of your young men brought me to this meeting, and I heard you preached, and, and then he stopped, and he, he broke out in tears, and he began sobbing, and he said... I don't know what's the matter with me. I feel awful. I have never felt this way before. And Tori looked him right in the eye and said, I can tell you what's wrong with you. You're under conviction of sin. And the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. And you need to go to Jesus. And Tori showed him from the Bible how Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of sinners. And this man was converted that day. And perhaps that's what's happening to you. You have you've never felt this way before. But maybe Jesus is at work in your heart. The Holy Spirit's at work convicting you of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And he's, he's, he's taking you to Jesus. Or perhaps you have been following Jesus. And you feel awful. Because you have wandered away and you've been doing your own thing. And you've been living life according to your own rules. Jesus won't let you do that. The Spirit is with you. You are not alone. And the awfulness you feel is the Holy Spirit at work in your heart and life, convicting you of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And saying, no, I, I bought you from that. I led you to Jesus. You're not going to live the way you used to. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is with you. You are never alone. He is present to convict you of sin but also to witness to Christ. And Jesus, at the end of the passage, tells us that. He will glorify me, verse 14. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The very words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he reminds you of those things. He takes you to the truth as it is in Jesus over and again in this passage, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. And he will remind uh, us of, of historical truths, just as he did the apostles. As they wrote the Gospels, they, they were reminded of historical truth. And, and, of course, the Holy Spirit will remind of doctrinal truth, of the truths concerning who Jesus is and what he's done. And we can look in the epistles and we can see that's, in fact, the case. And and prophetic truth of what will happen in the future. And you know in the book of Revelation that that's, that's exactly what's there. That, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And, and there will be a day when heaven and earth shall meet. But friend, don't miss it. The Holy Spirit doesn't simply lead you into abstract truths. He leads you to the truth as it is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never leave you alone. Because he wants you to come to Jesus. Whether you've never believed, whether you believed as a nine-year-old, doesn't matter. He is with you for that purpose. That is the assurance you can have this morning. That the Holy Spirit is at work in all that you've experienced and all the broken roads that you've taken, all the different pathways you've wandered through, and the sense of abandonment you, you've experienced, and the aloneness you might feel, the Holy Spirit is present with you and in you.
desiring to lead you by the hand to Jesus. Because he's who you need. He's the only one who can satisfy your heart. He's the only one who can bear you up through your sorrows and pain. With these nail-pierced hands, he holds you. And he will never let you go. And in those times you fear and doubt and wonder whether it's all true and where is God in the midst of all this, the Holy Spirit's right there within you, with you, walking beside you saying, he's here. He's here. Jesus is with you. He's not abandoned you. What's the proof? I'm here. The Holy Spirit says you're not alone. I'm mighty and strong And I will bring you all the way to the end. We're going to sing that in a minute. Holy Spirit, strong and mighty, thou who makest all things new, make thy work written, uh, make thy work within, uh, I can't read, make thy work within us perfect and the evil foes subdue. Grant us weapons for the strife and with victory crown our life. That's, That's absolutely true. The Holy Spirit, strong and mighty, is with you, and he will bring you all the way home. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. That's what Jesus promises you. And so, friend, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life right now, listen to me. This is the word of the Lord. You're not alone. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this sermon wasn't exactly what I wrote, but it was certainly the sermon that I needed, and perhaps, Lord, your people need it as well. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. As the living breath of life, we pray that you would come and convict us of sin, lead us to Jesus, Remind us over and again that we are not alone, that you are strong and mighty. You equip us for the fight. You are with us. And you continue to desire to lead us by the hand back to Jesus. Lord, do your work, we pray. Do your work, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.